Welcome to Kineo's Stream of Thought, a monthly podcast that features informal chat from the Kineo team about all things learning. I'm Rory Lawson, Account Director here at Kineo, and for this podcast, we are talking about accessibility and e-learning. I'm joined by Matthew Leeds, Senior Technical Consultant at Kineo. I'm Susie Miller. I'm an instructional designer and an e-learning accessibility consultant, and I work for Ella Hub. I'm Sam Cook, and I run the Kineo Learning Content Testing Team. Thanks for joining this week. Uh, this week um, is quite a, an important subject, and um, on Thursday this week, uh, the 16th of May, is actually the Global Accessibility Awareness Day. Um, this day promotes and helps people learn and talk about all things um, in terms of accessibility through different forms of media channel and so on, um, and its importance to people with um, disability needs, etc. Um, so we thought we would come together and share our bit as Kineo to, to help with this, um, and we're going to talk about accessibility in e-learning. I'm joined by a special guest speaker today, um, so Susie, uh, thank you for joining us. Um, Susie is a specialist consultant within the industry, uh, within e-learning, um, that has focused in her skills on accessibility and e-learning. So thank you for joining us. Welcome. So let's get the uh, conversation started. Um, let's take this from uh, what's happening in the industry, uh, what type of changes are coming about. Um, let's start with the legislation change that's coming through. Okay, so the legislation changed in September 2018 and the new legislation that came in, um, it affects all public sector bodies, it affects higher education and further education institutes and some charities. Now, my understanding is some technical uh, aspects to the timeline around that and there's some phases of how that legislation has been brought in. How does that work? Uh, it is, that's right. Uh, one of the important things to be aware of as well is that the legislation for the first time actually aligns accessibility with the WCAG, the Web Content Accessibility Guidelines. And the um, guidelines are the new revised guidelines, which are the 2.1 guidelines. And um, all of these um, bodies need to be um, accessible up to um, A and AA requirements. So that's, okay. that's a big change in the legislation. Yep. And also, um, with, the, with a timeline, it really depends on where you're, what, what we're talking about. So the, the guidelines really refer to um, um, websites and also mobile applications. Okay, so it covers a quite a wide remit now. It does, yeah. Yep. So from a website point of view, um, any websites and any content on that website, which could be, for example, PowerPoint or um, Word documents or PDF, which is, is quite common, and any e-learning, if it's an externally facing um, website, that um, content has to be accessible. If it is on the website now, if it was published before 2018, September 2018, when the law came in, then it has to be accessible by September 2020. Any new content, any new websites that are published that um, since September 2018 have to be accessible by September 2019, so quite okay. soon. So, so quite soon, yeah. yeah, just around the corner really for a lot yeah. of organisations. Yeah, and also from um, a um, intranet, extranet, Point of view that's slightly different any content which is on there existing is actually exempt until there's a major revision but any new content that is put on an intranet or an extranet which could be a, a VLE or an LMS that actually has to be accessible 
after September 2019 as well. So anything new that goes on any of those platforms has to be accessible after September 2019. Okay, so this marks quite a big change for a lot of organisations. This legislation isn't new really. Um, there's been a lot of legislation before it. Um, can you tell us a bit more about that and you know the, the type of work that we've been doing already in okay. the industry towards that, that legislation? Okay, so the legislation that was in place before um, the, the new legislation we were talking about is, is basically in the UK, it's the Equality Act. And the Equality Act is very interesting because it has said from the beginning, which was, was 2010 when it came in, that we have an anticipatory duty to provide accessible services to our clients okay. and the uh, is the interesting thing is the anticipatory duty so the idea is that you're not supposed to wait until someone comes to you with an accessibility need it's supposed to be by standard so in theory then people should already be working towards a new legislation um, but this new legislation actually provides just a little bit more stick behind it in terms of what people need to be doing so I think the main difference is that the new legislation, it's, it's this aligning it to the web content accessibility guidelines, mm -hmm. because before, yes, we had an anticipatory duty to make all of our um, products and everything accessible. From a digital point of view, e-learning point of view, we didn't have anything that said, yes, you specifically have to meet these requirements. And I think that's the change in the legislation. Okay, so when talking to clients, um, what type of questions should we be asking our clients then? Let's, let's open this up around the floor. Um, so obviously we get lots of projects coming in, um, talking to lots of clients within the industry, but um, you know, how do we start to ask the right questions? What are the right questions to ask going forward? I think an, an important one is uh, we've been guilty in the past of just treating an accessible audience as an abstract concept rather than actually talking to clients and finding out who are your user base and what are their needs. And we have been doing more of that in recent times, but we, and I think the industry as a whole, were certainly guilty of just tre treating it as an arbitrary thing that are not actually thinking about the real users at the end of, uh, you know, uh, who have to use these courses. Yeah, I mean, from my point of view, the first thing I will, you know, is open up a dialogue about accessibility uh, with the client and just find out how much they've thought about it in the past. You know, are they the kind of client who is already thinking about this kind of thing and can provide a lot of information? Or is it something very new to them and therefore I'm likely to have to provide much more of a steer as to what they should be doing rather than them telling me what they'd like to do? Uh, and I think going back to what Sam said as well, um, you know, finding out do they have any users who can test this for us because the single most valuable piece of feedback we can ever get is actual user feedback from somebody who's using assistive technology. It's strangely difficult to get that kind of feedback. And when we do, it's like gold dust. Uh, and it, it's, it, you know, we can fold it back into our development process and improve everything we're doing based on actual you know, learner data, learner feedback. So it sounds like what's key here is being proactive with our consultancy around the subject and asking questions like, can we actually do end user testing as part of the process, actually find out what's working for people, uh, bringing that information back in, improving their product as well as our own kind of service and our development uh, processes behind the scenes. Absolutely. Brilliant. Uh, one thing I would like to say is um, very interesting when we're talking about finding out about a bit more about our users. And I think for me that is something that I think 
I would suggest is maybe a rethinking or uh, thinking of accessibility in a different way because we tend to think of accessibility as you were saying as a kind of an abstract concept abstract you know we haven't got any um, experience ourselves of for example using assistive technology maybe we kind of think of it as people who have got um, they've got an impairment they've got disability in actual fact I think we need to start thinking of it as this is is relevant for everybody so although I completely agree it's great to do to you know to find out more about your users actually accessibility impacts all of us it doesn't impact only people who have permanent impairments and a really good example I think is um, for example something uh, looking at the color blindness so um if you think that one in 12 men have color blindness, then surely something to, to make your courses more accessible to someone with color blindness should be standard. And the same with something, for example, like um, um, dyslexia. One in 10 people have, uh, have some form of dyslexia. So it isn't really thinking about, I think it's thinking about things differently, not necessarily thinking, well, we have to research exactly who are our users. Accessibility affects all of our users. And I think if you, if you think... In my own experience, if you think of your own your own situation, I don't think I have a permanent impairment, but I know that I, I, I wear reading glasses. Um, I know that um, I do have mild dyslexia, so um, I know things that can that can help me if with, with that dyslexia. And also, for example, I sometimes get RSI, so I will actually just um, go through a website just using a keyboard. So, and I, I, I'm 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 typical. So. You know, it does affect every one of us. Instead of thinking that there's a spe specific audience that we're trying to actually reach, we are trying to reach everybody. Anything that we do to make an, a course more accessible is a benefit to everybody. So that means as an industry, we really need to reframe how we think about this I, I and come so. at it from a completely different kind yeah. of perspective yeah. and ask the question around what are the requirements um, what do people need or, or you know what they appreciate from the design of our product so a good a good example would be for example captions on videos so that's traditionally been seen as you know something to do with accessibility but actually when we think about situational impairments where you know you're on a train or you know or if to have captions and then also you know captions are good for SEO so it's much wider it's much wider benefit than just somebody who needs captions because they have a hearing impairment it's interesting you, you you know on that point how the use of social media has really driven the use of captions in videos and you see so much video on social media platforms now where because people are looking at it on a smartphone on the train they don't necessarily have audio and so people are now used to almost all video being captioned mm -hmm. uh, and that's really created this sea change in in people's expectations uh, I mean, going back to your earlier point about uh, I thought the dyslexia one was a good one. In my experience, there's a lot of things talked about dyslexia that don't seem to be very evidence-based to me. Okay. So, for example, one of the things was how you know using a specific font okay. can improve people's you know a dyslexic person's you know reading of, of content. Okay. And it's interesting how it only seems to be the person who developed that font <laughs> who seems to have any supposed evidence. So for me, this is why it's always coming back to talking to the actual learner rather than letting someone else dictate to you what they okay. think that person should experience. I want to talk to the learner about what they actually do need. Okay. And that's a really important factor for me. I agree with you about, about the dyslexic <laughs> font completely. I think a good example for me is that um, the idea of readability and um, one thing that you see quite a lot in e-learning um, design is 
all caps, especially in um, titles. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that the the the, the WCAG regulations suggest, it's a recommendation, it's not actually a standard, is that you only use um, you, you don't use all caps. You basically use the according to the rules of the of the language. Now that means then that you wouldn't be using all caps. And that's really interesting from a reading, a readability point of view, because it's it's it touches on the way that we actually read. So we tend to read uh, by a, by a certain age, we will we will read according to the shape of the word. And so if you put everything in all caps, then it will slow down everybody because you're you're used to reading that that, that skim reading, the scan reading skills are based on the shape of the of the letters, the shape of the word, rather than actually you're not actually reading it, you know, it's letter by letter. And then if you come back to the dyslexia, and and, and that's one thing that I find quite difficult, is if it's all caps, if if you have got a dyslexic learner, that does make it more difficult to read. It slows everyone down, but particularly if you have um, a a dyslexic learner. That's really interesting. And and presumably if you were to, you know, if you had a style guide that said, okay, titles need to be all capitalised, if you did that using uh, CSS... Mm -hmm then the uh, learner could turn that off yeah. by using their own style sheet to override that and turn it back into normal sentence capitalisation. Yeah. I think that's a good example of in the past where we we have pushed back on that specific issue mm-hmm. to clients and there's a, been a complete a, a lack of awareness that that is an issue. Uh-huh. And also I think clients perhaps are more focused on how their course looks, mm-hmm. how it feels, and, and you, you might have to struggle a little bit to actually get them to accept the fact that that's a very sensible change to make. Mm-hmm. And I'd say it would be the same with, with, with colours. So that the idea of, of pushing back on um, clients who have got their brand colours that are not meeting accessibility requirements. And again, you can think of it as saying, you know, it's, it will help people with a visual impairment. It will help It will help everybody. Again, you know, if you're coming back to the situational impairment, if you're um, looking at your laptop in, in bright sunlight, if you've got high contrast, then that will help. Again, it's helping everybody. It's not just helping someone with a visual impairment. There's a great free tool that we use a lot called a colour contrast analyzer. Oh, yeah. And um, that's great for just highlighting where contrast fails to, to varying degrees of the WCAG standards mm-hmm. and also that's nice because it actually gives you a bit of ammunition when talking to clients to say mm-hmm. this isn't just our opinion this technical tool has deemed this not to not to meet those standards yeah so let's look at this from clients perspective um, what questions should they be asking us around the industry as e-learning developers and authors um, what what type of questions should we expect to be kind of answering uh, I think inevitably, I mean, the first question has got to be, you know, are the tools you're using to produce the content for us um, meeting WCAG standards? Has got to be the first and most okay. immediate thing. Um, and then the obvious thing is about, because it's not just a, a technical thing, it's also a design thing. So it's like, what's in your design process that addresses accessibility? How do you think about accessibility for your users? How are you testing for accessibility? Uh, and again, going back to this point of if they have you know, learners who they know will be accessing this with assistive technology, with some kind of disability, can those learners provide feedback? Is there a part of the process where you will take that feedback on board and, and build that into the product? I think Matt's touched on an important point that we've learned through, through trial and error is that um, if, when accessibility is a requirement, it has to be there from the absolute start of your project. It's not something that you can just retrofit or tack on at the end. It informs your design, it informs your development, and it informs your testing. 
so we've talked a lot about accessibility so far, but let's look at it through a different lens. Um, how do we go about adopting more of a, an inclusive mindset? What are the attributes of that? What does that feel like? Um, so how do we provide universal access? I guess an important consideration um, is that we're often thinking about course content as, as content creators, but the, the platform used to deliver that content is just as important, obviously, because you can make a course as accessible as it can be, but if the platform used to deliver it isn't, then you've, you've fallen at the first hurdle. Historically in e-learning, when we've talked about accessibility, we've been guilty of thinking of what I would call the, the, the main, um, the, the main dis sort of disabilities, i.e. visual impairments and motor impairments. And I, through looking at Susie's website and the work we've done, it's obvious that there's actually far more outside of that. And I think we can get too focused on just those and not provide a more all-encompassing, accessible course that, that covers a lot more uh, situations. What type of situations might they be? So maybe if we start thinking about temporary impairments, so these are impairments that can happen to, to any one of us at any time. So some good examples would be um, from a vis uh, visual impairment point of view, for example, if you'd had um, laser eye surgery and then it's obviously very difficult then to, to look at the screen. If you are thinking of um, a motor impairment, you could um, have um, injured your hand, injured your wrist, maybe um, RSI, which comes and goes, can be a temporary impairment. And again, that means um, from an e-learning point of view that you are not able to use your mouse. You have to be using the keyboard. I think one of the things I hadn't really thought about uh, much up to now was the situational problems that you can have. So, you know, it's really all about the device that you're using the learning on or the device that you're accessing being flexible enough to suit the situation that you have at the time, which may be that, you know, as we said earlier, you don't have headphones, so it's important that the course has captions. Or you may be in an open plan office, so it's important that the course doesn't suddenly start blaring out audio uh, really loudly and distracting your co-workers. You know, there's all kinds of different situations that you need to adjust the learning to that aren't necessarily anything to do with disabilities or or, you know, or issues like that. And older technology as well. I think certainly with our, with our corporate clients that there's been a, um, you know, you have to meet the needs of new uh, devices, smartphones and tablets, but also they might have lots of quite old PC architecture that we also have to support and make sure our courses can, can work on those. I know we can't call out clients by name, um, but there, there are clients that we're working with that are doing this really well. There's a, a large uh, financial institution that we do a lot of work with who have their own really stringent accessibility standards. I think they were probably our first client to really push us to meet those standards. They're one of our few clients who do their own accessibility testing in conjunction with ours. And we've, we've worked very closely with them on our own technology to develop standards that, that we can support and that need to, to meet their needs. So everything we create for them has to be accessible to a, to a really high standard. And we know they're going to be looking at that. We know they're going to be testing it. So it's, it's a big deal for them and for us. And I think with the client case study you're, you're referencing there, they've even built that into their top line strategy um, in that... I think from memory their, their mission is to become one of the uh, most advanced in the industry, their top FTSE 100 company that takes accessibility, embraces it and builds it into their strategy. So it's a really interesting case study in terms of how they're going about it, how they're thinking about it and then how that um, kind of the ripple effect through everyone they work with has to kind of work in the same way and have the same kind of mindset to them. 
it, it's win-win for them because it's it's great PR for a company to be seen to be able to do this. And also, it just makes commercial sense as a provider to do this. So, it's I, I mean, what amazes me is that more companies don't have the same level of standards that they do. Yeah. So really, they're showing the right mindset and going about this in the right way. I, lo- I love how public they are about it, you know, to the point where you'll even see this referenced on a cash machine when you go to take money out. Uh, it's brilliant to really see it being given that level, uh, you know, of promotion out in the wider world. I think they're really setting a standard. Are there other organisations that you're aware of that are taking it to the same level? So a really good example for me is looking at it. So obviously we talked about the legislation and we were talking about the legislation being applicable to um, public sector um, organisations. So obviously public sector are very aware of this. I think it's really interesting to find uh, private companies or or commercial companies who are also um, realising that it is a really positive and it's really beneficial to them to be um, thinking about this as well. So in in my example or or in my experience, I have one particular client who has embraced it and started off just by looking, thinking of it just um, on the e-learning accessibility side of things. And then that has spread and it's gone throughout all of their digital platforms. And whereas it started as a a sort of small interest group, it's actually spread throughout the whole company. And it's really, they're seeing it as something that is, does make them, you know, it's, it's a competitive advantage for them. Yeah, I think we're starting to see this more and more now where companies are, you know, it's just a given. Um, and in particular, there's, you know, a, a large social media company we do a lot of work with. And this is just baked in at every level. There's simply no way you could get away with doing anything without considering uh, accessibility at the deepest level of what, whatever you're doing. Um, and they've given us a fantastic amount of feedback recently um, that has been extremely valuable. Like I say, having that, that actual learner feedback is so vital. Um, it's like gold dust and we've really taken all of that on board and used it to improve everything that we're doing and then that's feeding back you know into all our, our other clients so this is kind of ever ever growing circle of accessibility feedback and improvement um, that's that's really important to us that's a really interesting point and leads me to my next question so we're doing a lot of work in terms of building out our framework the adapt framework mm-hmm. can you tell us more about how we're bringing all of that user feedback into the framework yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've just done a huge new release, uh, Adapt version 4, which was really focused on accessibility. And again, it brings back everything we've learned from feedback from all, you know these clients that we've been talking about back into the framework and pushing it back out into the open source community. So it's giving it back, it's improving the experience for everyone, as well as you know improving everything for us as well. Um, so it's been a, a really important big new release for us. And it's all about constantly considering accessibility not just going right this is accessible we've done that let's move on we're always thinking about how to improve it and I think pretty much every week I see a change in adapt a new pull request an issue that is to do with accessibility we have a very active accessibility chat room Um, you know even just yesterday there were a load of improvements made to the the media component to make that more accessible to get it to pass tests so it's an ongoing thing What are the main differences between the previous version and where we are now? So Adapt version 3 was great for screen reader users and users of assistive technology like JAWS. What it wasn't great for was, um, you know, the the levels we've been talking about up to that. So particularly, for example, the keyboard accessibility wasn't great. Uh, Essentially, it didn't do keyboard accessibility unless you turned on the full screen reader accessibility. And even that is not something you should have to do. There shouldn't have to be anything you have to enable. The thing should just be accessible out of the box. 
uh, and if you're using a screen reader, it understands and works with the screen reader by just being standards compliant. You know, I think we were actually overthinking it and putting too much in there to address accessibility and actually it needed to be a lot simpler and just by adhering to the standards, it actually becomes more accessible. So in effect, we actually ripped a load of code out of ADAPT in order to improve it, which was a surprising thing which and is always a nice thing to do as well. Uh, less code is always a good thing. And what's great about the ADAPT project is, from an inclusive point of view, we're actually giving all of that knowledge and thought back into the industry because it's an open source community. So more companies, more organisations, more developers are benefiting from all of that work and all of that insight that's coming into it. Absolutely. So for me, that's a great example. I do think it is worth thinking about um, people who maybe are using um, authoring tools, rapid authoring tools, and maybe some of the struggles that, that they're having. I think you were mentioning that there was a, a very active community for ADAPT, which is fantastic. I think one of the things that I find, that I have found myself, and I do find um, with um, clients, is that people do tend to be very isolated when they're trying to be, so they may be in a position, particularly if they are in the public sector for the higher education and um, in charities, they might be someone who's just working on their own. They're working with a, a, an, an authoring tool and they're suddenly faced with having to now make it accessible and accessible to the full WCAG A and AA regulations. And there isn't really a community, there isn't really anywhere that um, people have been able to go to to find support for that. It can be very difficult to find out how to, to use your rapid authoring tool to make that accessible. It That could be because you know, there could be instructions that maybe it's not saying, the tool might be saying, yes, it's accessible, but it may be not giving you full instructions on how to do that. Prior to these, um, the new regulations, there was no um, requirement to be completely WCAG um, A and AA um, um, to meet those requirements where there is now. So I think there is, you know, a real need to be addressing people who genuinely do want to make things accessible, but really don't know how to go about it. I think that's the obvious next big milestone. Our focus up to this point has almost solely been on the, the end product, the course itself. The actual authoring environment is something that we, I think, are going to have to start really thinking about trying to make that accessible. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of work that goes on here in terms of our whole development process that everybody contributes to how the products are designed. So there are lots of internal design teams within our, our, our client base um, developing e-learning. Uh, they use rapid offering tools uh, which go so far to making the product accessible for, for end users um, but it's, it's hard to follow those technical guidelines and um, what kind of advice can we give those users? So I think one of the advantages of the guidelines is it is now very clear on what you need to actually do. I, I do agree with you that those um, guidelines are, are quite technical but at least in black and white it tells you what you need to do to make your um, e-learning accessible. I think then it comes back to looking at what your authoring tool is providing. So if your authoring tool says it, it is accessible, which many of them do, it, you need to be able to find out how it's accessible and particularly how it's accessible to the new WCAG criteria. And if it isn't, then I think it's it's at least now there is is an opening for a discussion. So as before, before we had the criteria, it was very much, well, it's accessible. Now, if, if you're saying your tool is accessible, then show me how it's accessible to meet these crit criteria and, and give me instructions and give me help that will make my um, e-learning e accessible. So going back to the legislation that's coming through at the moment, 
that's going to bring about change and I anticipate that more and more clients will ask us questions. But I think we need to recognise that working to these legislation requirements brings about some different thinking um, and there is a, a, an impact on certain aspects of what we do. So if we think of it from a time, cost, quality perspective, um, what kind of issues might we consider um, when talking to clients? I think we definitely have to talk to them about the, the time and cost implications because inevitably, particularly with uh, screen reader testing, it is, you know, as Sam can attest, quite a time-consuming process. Um, it, it's hard work. Uh, obviously, with ADAPT being so accessible out of the box, we're bringing a lot of stuff to the table that is already well-designed and well-thought-through. So there's always a cost-saving by using it as out of the box as possible, but obviously our line of work is bespoke development and inevitably it's going to increase the cost of any bespoke development work. Um, not just technically implementing it, testing it, making sure it's designed properly. And for me, to, to the ultimate level, which is one that often gets left aside, is really thinking about the usability experience from an accessible user's point of view. So it's not just a checkbox exercise that actually means, okay, they can get through the learning, but it's quite a painful experience, that it should actually be as painless as an experience as possible for them. And that, that's something that is hard to do and can get left by the wayside. Testing for accessibility is one of the most time-consuming tasks my team has to do, and there are no shortcuts. You know, you have to do it. You have to journey through that course as an end user would. And it's really crucial to do that. And we've talked a lot today about the value of of end-user feedback. And if you're going to incorporate that, there are no really quick solutions. It takes time to, for them to, to, to use the course, to get that feedback, to incorporate it, to test it again, and to get it to a point where it's really working as well as it can. So to, to kind of wrap things up today, I just want to finish on a final question. Let's, let's think of it from um, a futuristic kind of stance, actually. Um, and this is a question I heard being asked, or Jacob Nielsen answered. Um, so the question is, what will users in the future think of today's online experience? It's funny looking back. I've been I've been testing accessible content free learning for for about twelve or thirteen years now, and it's interesting to look back at when I started, and what largely a terrible experience it was in the days of flash content. Nothing really worked. I think there was complete ignorance in the industry and also in our clients about how things were supposed to work. So I can see the, the distance we've traveled so far. So to be honest, that makes me optimistic about the future. I think with this legislation and the, you know, the, the pace of advances in technology, I'm really hoping that things can improve radically over the next 12 or 13 years. Just like to say thank you to everyone today for their insights into this critical subject within our industry. I think there's some really good sort of points that everybody can learn from. Um, I'd also like to say thank you to Susie coming in today. Um, Susie, you're launching your website this week, I understand. So if you'd like to find out more about e-learning accessibility, this is a really good resource for people to go to. It's Ella Hub. Um, and if you want to find that website, you can go to elahub.net to find out lots more about what we've been talking about today. Uh, we're going to use it here as a tool going forward as well. Um, and we'll also be promoting it to our clients as well. So thank you for bringing that to the table. So if you'd like to carry on the conversation, you can catch up with us on Twitter, where we're at Kineo, or via our website at kineo.com. <laughs>